Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. It's bonus time in the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, I don't have a newspaper in front of me. D, it is Thursday, August 22nd. Nice. Good job, Ben. Man, look at me. Thursday, August 22nd. What's tomorrow? Well, Friday... <laughs> Hold on, let me do the math. I'm no damn piss. Friday, August 23rd. How about correct. that? Uh, You're on the roll, buddy. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, bonus day. You'll be hearing this Saturday. We'll be... Uh, what is that called, D? Downloading or... Up? We upload, they download. August 24th. Oh, yeah. Uh, but then, you know, Lord knows when you'll be listening to this interview because it's a podcast. You could be listening to this interview in the year 2025. Uh, and uh, so, I have a, dis- a guest, a distinguished guest, sitting right across the table from me. And as we do on the Ben Jarofsky bonus time, we ask our guests to introduce themselves. So I have a guest sitting there and he's thinking about what he's going to say. And uh, guest, introduce yourself. Uh, My name is Phil Kadner. I uh, occasionally write a column for the Chicago Sun-Times for 36 years or so. I wrote a a daily column for the uh, Daily Southtown, former Southtown economist, former Southtown star, which uh, covered the south side of the city, southwest side of the city, south suburbs, uh, northwest Indiana, Joliet, and other points in between. All right. Phil Kattner is his name. Journalism is his game. Uh, Has anyone ever told you you look a little like Mike Royko? No, no, okay. they haven't. But I'll, <laughs> well, I I'll, just told you that. I'll, damn it, I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> uh, the real compliment is to say you write like Mike Royko. That is. And from our, our younger listeners, Mike Royko was the greatest, uh, in my humble opinion, Phil Kadner, uh, journalist to emerge from the city of Chicago ever. E-V-E-R. Are you Absolutely, that? yeah, no doubt. Uh, and uh, right up there in that list would be Phil Kadner. This is the first time we've ever met, uh, but Phil knows I'm a big fan of his because I've been sending him emails telling him that uh, and begging him to come on the show and talk about his uh, days as a journalist and his worldview, which is a very interesting worldview. So, Phil, why don't we just start with a little biographical uh, information about yourself. You talked about uh, your career as a journalist in the Southwest Side. Where are you from? Did you grow up in Chicago? I grew up on the Southwest Side of uh, Chicago, an area called Scottsdale that most people are totally unfamiliar with, never in the news hardly at all. It's borders on the southwest suburbs. Uh, uh, went to high school in Bogan Public High School. In, Bogan uh, High. And that explains a lot about my uh, lack of literacy. <laughs> I think you know, to throw those teachers of Bogan under a bus. All right, here you go, <laughs> Phil Kadner. I'm going to give you a trivia question. I just met you, I'm going to give you a trivia question. All right, you ready? I'm ready. For 10 trivia points, what Chicago Sun-Times employee is also a graduate of Bogan High School? I, I do not know. <laughs> Can you, I mean, just make a stab at it. I have no clue. Young Thomas McNamee, who no. is the editorial writer for the Chicago Sun-Times. Are you sure? Come 
about Phil Kettner? Am I sure? Because I thought he grew up in the suburbs. I thought he grew up in like uh, Oklahoma, Evergreen Park. No, because we went to we went to college together at Northern Illinois University. I did not know that you're yeah. a Husky. Yeah. All right. Uh, and for ten trivia points, what other Sun Times employee is a Husky? Mark Brown. Very good. Give that man something, all right? And Mark Brown worked for me as well at the Northern Star at Northern Illinois So University. you were the head editor? I was a sports editor when I got hired Brown. I was a news editor when I hired McNamee. Oh, my God. They owe all, all, all their careers to they you. They do. Uh, all right. So Scottsdale, if my memory is serving me correctly, is in the 13th Ward? Uh, no, it was, well, it was the 18th Ward. I'm not even sure what it is now. Back in the day, it was 18th Ward. It was a daily... Well, it was somebody who claimed to be a daily cousin. He had a daily last name, and there were other people who always claimed he wasn't a really real daily. Was it Kellum? Uh, Kellum came afterward. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, Aren't you impressed that I knew that? Yeah, that is. <laughs> okay, that, thank you. Yeah. He was just taking that in stride. Uh, the, my obsessive knowledge of Chicago politics. So you grew up where your parents uh, newspaper people? No, not at all. My dad was a... Uh, a postal clerk, and my mother was a, uh, for many years, was uh, basically a, a homemaker, but then she went to work as a dress salesman. She worked at Goldblatt's, and uh, she worked at William A. Lewis as a dress sales lady. Mm-hmm. So, uh, this is Southwest Side, Bogan High, uh, basically working class background, and this, of course, is the neighborhood uh, when you probably would have been in grammar school that Martin Luther King uh, led marchers through to Marquette Park, yeah, not yeah. far from where you lived. Yeah. Do you have any memories of that? Absolutely. I, I wrote a column about how uh, uh, Michael Flager, Reverend Michael Flager, and I have talked about this because he grew up not far from me in the St. Tommy Moore Parish. Uh, and both of us uh, had a very clear recollection of that because we were around the same age. And uh, back in those days, uh, the, the neighborhood I was in was very white, very working class, very Irish for the most part, and very racist. Uh, and I uh, first learned about King coming to the neighborhood because people were chanting slogans that I won't even repeat here. Uh, they were so disgusting. And I was chanting them, too, because I, I was a pretty young kid, and I wanted to be like all the other kids. So when you say that they're disgusting, uh, you're saying that from the vantage point of Phil Kadner in the year 2019. Right, right. But Phil Kadner in the year 1966. Yeah. What was your mindset back then? When I chanted them, I, I thought it was fun. It was, they were, they were kind of, it was kind of a cool rhyming chant, and it was using a, a really popular commercial at the time as, as the kind of lyric for it, background music. Uh, but it was right. I learned that year that that was terrible. Uh, it was basically it went home. Went with, there were a bunch of kids who were talking about going up. We we were a little bit away from Marquette Park where King marched to, mm-hmm. and uh, a bunch of us were talking about taking our bikes and riding up there because it sounded really exciting. And uh, I told my mother I was going there, and she said, "No, you're not." Uh, much to her credit. Uh, and that night, I watched the news, and I, I saw the people there attacking um, Martin Luther King and the people who were marching with him for basically open housing, mm-hmm. civil rights. And uh, when I saw that, uh, uh, it changed me, uh, I think, forever. Now, how to uh, talk about that. It was a transformation. Uh, just independently watching the news, you came to... It was, uh, it was so wrong. I, I just knew. I knew how wrong it was. I talked to, again, I talked to Michael Flager about that, and that was he, he would claim that was a life-transforming movement for him, too. And, of course, he's a... 
you know, now the now the uh, parish, of, you know, uh, parishioner of uh, St. Sabina mm-hmm. Parish and a very well-known uh, guy in terms of civil liberties. And we've talked about this and it was an awful, it was, it was an awful thing to see and to think that I had been saying those things and was kind of ready to join those people. Uh, yeah, I, I had it, but the, interestingly, I don't think anybody around me changed. I don't think the kids I played with changed from that. Uh, when you were at Bogan High, did you find yeah. anybody like you with the people that you hung around? You're, you're at Bogan High. Yeah. It's the late 60s. There's tremendous turmoil right. in the country. But Bogan, yeah. uh, Southwest Side, yeah. probe daily. Probably uh, a lot of Nixon support. Uh, it was anti. It was, they were going to integrate the school at the time. And there were a bunch of women who got together and opposed the busing of uh, black children into the school. And it was very not pleasant. Yeah. Uh, I don't recall having a lot of conversations with my fellow students about that or my friends much at the time. Uh, I, I don't really remember much conversation about it. I, you know, again, I did hear, I don't remember, I do remember hearing some kids use words that I don't want to repeat here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how in the world did you find your way to journalism? Uh, it's the only thing I could do, Ben. It's the only <laughs> in life. There are people who can do many. I, I always admire them. There are people, there are people who, can, who, are, who can be carpenters, and there are people who can be plumbers, and there are people who can sing, and yeah. people who can dance, people who can do a radio show. <laughs> I learned early on, you know, there was one thing I could do It was yeah. write. Uh, I think probably early in school, I learned that I could write an essay. Uh, I remember a teacher saying, you don't know what you're talking about, but you say it really well. And she gave me an A on the paper. Okay, yeah. Uh, and I got a lot of reinforcement, positive reinforcement from teachers for things that I wrote. And I think I learned early on that, wow, I, I can kind of do this. And then I, I think that's how I kind of got directed into it. And journalism, uh, you know, I think there were a whole bunch of things, great movies I saw that made me want to be a journalist. And, uh, like what? Uh, oh, God. Uh, Northside 777, uh, Deadline USA, which is a great one about Humphrey Bogart. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever saw that. I've never seen it. Oh, you got to see it. it. Deadline USA. Uh, and I'll tell you what, you know, there's a scene in that movie, which uh-huh. which should touch anybody who's a journalist. Uh, uh, they write this scene for an old lady who's, whose daughter had been a prostitute and was found murdered and dead. And it turned out she'd been killed by the mob. But anyway, everybody ran these headlines about prostitute found and they, they really uh, kind of uh, degraded her daughter's reputation and slandered her. And this Humphrey Bogart's paper didn't. And she, anyway, she woke up, walks in to see him. And uh, she, she has her daughter's notebooks about the mob and all this stuff. And he said, why are you coming to see me? And she's a, she's an immigrant, so she talks with a, an accent, and she says, because when I come here, I don't know how to read, I don't know how to speak, I don't know anything about the country, and I learn everything I know by reading the newspapers. And that, you know, that, that's so true. It's, it, that's the history of newspapers, and it's one of the reasons newspapers still ought to stand up for immigrants all the time, because they value journalism in newspapers. And they read everything. And anyway, this woman said, that's, how, that's why I come here. I trust you. you I believe in you. Mm-hmm. So that's why I came here. So anyway. Were you reading newspapers at the time? Were there any journalists or any writers that influenced you as a young oh, kid God. on the Southwest a whole Side? A whole bunch of guys from the Sun-Times. 
I don't know if you were, there were a couple of guys who wrote on the sports page who were early influencers. I mean, a guy named Jack Griffin. Come on, Jack Griffin. Yeah. Remember Jack Griffin? Yeah, yeah he, was, he was great. He would go to prize fights and, and, and end up writing about people he met in bars yeah, and yeah. piano players in uh-huh. bars. He was terrific. And, and Bill Gleason, who I later got to work with briefly, uh, one of the great Chicago characters uh, yeah. of all time. So those were two guys, early guys. Of course, Royko. Uh, you know, Royko was a big influence later on. Yeah, my, you know what my surprise? I grew up uh, reading Royko and loving Royko. I lived in Evanston uh, for junior high on. Uh, my family moved here from Rhode Island. And uh, I thought, this is how naive I am, Phil. I thought this is how you're supposed to write. And when I got my first journalism job, I was oh. writing like Royko. Sure. And these editors, what? I, that's where I had to learn, Phil Kettner, yeah. that like you had to use a person's real name. Yeah. So like Royko would come up with a nickname for someone. Slats like Robnick. Yeah, Slat, or Bull Jive Taylor or something. Yeah. They would go, uh, no, you can't be Phil Kettner. It has to be Philip Kettner. Yeah. Is it two L's? Something I'm worried about. I never asked anybody how to spell a name before. You know what I'm saying? You can't say almost as fast, Eddie. Yeah, you can't say fast Eddie. It's Edward R. Verdoliak. Um, so anyway, that that uh, I loved Royko as well. So you go to N- Northern Illinois. Uh, you, are you a scholarship kid? No, no, no. My, so my parents. Yeah, I was never that smart. I wish I wish I had been. Uh, I owed it to my parents to try harder, but I was never that smart. No. And right away, you went out for the newspaper. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, so you come out and you went to work for the the Daily South Town. Right. Yeah. The hometown. Been our hometown, yeah, been my neighborhood newspaper, and I, I got the job. And what kind of things were you covering in those days? Uh, mainly, the seventies. <laughs> mainly, interestingly enough, us. My 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 first beat was Beverly Morgan Park, but right after that, Mar- Mar- I covered Marquette Park because there was a neo-Nazi group. That's correct. That was active, and yeah. at the same time. There was a, a, a neo Martin Luther King Jr. group that was staging open housing marches, yeah. so I got to cover both of them. open housing marches, the, the same kind of marches King had. I covered as a newspaper reporter too. Yeah, so you were essentially covering the uh, racial racial transformation of the Southwest Side of oh, Chicago. Oh yeah, yeah, I got I covered all that and was really got a quite an education that to this day I think is valuable. Because I, I'm amazed at how many people are ignorant of all the different factors involved in changing neighborhoods. Uh, Talk about that. Well, well, I mean, I don't even know where to start. You start with redlining, which was really a real estate scam where real estate guys would. Well, it was real estate and mortgage brokers. Real estate guys, mortgage brokers would not give loans in certain areas uh, of the city that they considered bad risks. So they drive the housing prices down because you couldn't get a loan. Real estate guys would steer people away from these areas. White people, I should say, away. And they'd steer black people into them. And suddenly, neighborhoods, people, people would lose, white people would lose the value of their homes and have to move and wouldn't get anything. They, they invested their life savings in these homes. It was back then, that was a big deal to people. The home, that was it. And they might have bought the home for $20,000, and they were hoping to sell it back then for maybe $60,000. Instead, they couldn't sell it for maybe even 20000 So those people who moved hated 
black people forever because they blamed them. They didn't know what the cause was. They thought it was the fact that black people were moving in that was causing their property values to diminish. And that, that's a lot of the source of this racial animus that, that really is a factor today. Because people harbor these, these grievances. But it was, again, it was, a, it was a banking industry. It was the real estate industry. And then on top of that, you had the city. You know, you had the city cutting, you know, they would, they would minimize services uh, to the black neighborhoods. They would uh, add services to the white neighborhoods. Uh, and, uh, boy, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought, but if you want to ask me any questions, there were a lot of factors. The, yeah. schools, the schools weren't as good, uh, you know, in many of these neighborhoods. There, were, you know, there was crime, uh, lack of policing. Uh, a lot of times the policemen went to the white neighborhoods because that's where the aldermen were strongest. When you look back and you, you consider what you've lived through and what you've reported on and you could talk about the racial transformation of uh, the city of Chicago and as it, the, the, the racial divide moved west, it, it just like you know, Halstead Street and it was Ashland right. and Damon, et cetera, and so right. forth. Uh, and then Mar- Market Park is now a majority black, uh, the park itself. Uh, do you think that there's anything in retrospect that powerful leaders like Mayor Daley, old man Mayor Daley, not baby Daley, but old man Mayor Daley might have done to stem the tide? I'm not sure. They certainly didn't do anything to stem the tide. Uh, and they encouraged it in a lot of ways, but I don't really know. It was There were so many factors at work that people didn't understand. They only understand this, I think, uh, to a great extent in retrospect, mm-hmm. in a historical context. Uh, I doubt Daly would have been interested because it didn't pay politically. I mean, why, why would he? You know, it didn't help him. You know, the, to do those things. Uh, to this day, again, that's part of the political process. How much does it help? Uh, now you have a lot more black voters and a lot more black active voters, so it matters to people. If they weren't, and again, that is part of what's happening again today. You know, Donald Trump doesn't really care much about the black vote. Yeah. So he's playing to that. Are the black voters going to come out to vote for the Democrats against Donald Trump? Uh, I mean, there's still some question about that. So, I mean, you still have that at play today. So uh, there's a political pragmatist who, who really could give a, who, who could give a crap it's about... It's a podcast. You could say what you want, Phil. Yeah, who could give a crap about <laughs> yeah. whether or not, yeah. you know, th- these people's lives are better. Um, all right. Let's talk about the, the journalism trade. Uh, you, you've worked for a neighborhood newspaper, and, and I was aware of the existence of Phil Kadner when I uh, moved back to Chicago, or I moved to Chicago, I should say, uh, and I was reading everything and just trying to understand the city of Chicago. Uh, you're covering one corner of the city, an old school uh, daily newspaper that's not a citywide page, a paper. It's right. almost like it really is. Um, well, in some ways they're coming back, but it, it's so old fashioned if you follow what yeah, I'm saying. Absolutely. Uh, and yet you could make a living. You yeah. could raise a family. Yeah. Uh, the paper. Well, it was tough. It was not, it was not easy. Those of us who worked there did not make much money. Yeah. I mean, it was really... It was really tough. Uh, most of the most of the guys who had families actually their their wives supported them. Uh, you know, they were school teachers or they had some job that brought home the bacon because our salaries really didn't support. So why'd you do it? 
I, 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 was, I loved it. I mean, it was it was just I felt like I was bettering the world. You know, I really thought I was making a difference. I think I did. Uh, you know, we, we expanded our, you know, we started out with the city paper and we expanded into the suburbs because that's where our base moved to, yeah. to the suburbs. And I ended up covering a lot. It was an interesting area because I ended up covering some pretty affluent uh, south suburbs, which aren't as affluent as some of those in the north suburbs, but some pretty well-to-do southwest suburbs. But some of the poorest suburbs in the country, in the entire country, are located in the south suburbs. Yeah. Well, and I will say this, uh, that the biggest problem I think the Democrats have is one of credibility. Follow me what I'm about to say. Donald Trump all the time uh, mocks the Democrats. Any Democrat who speaks up against him, he mocks. Why don't you go back to your city and take care of your city? He says that all the time. Right. And the part, I, I, I'm very critical of when he says it, but there is a p- point buried within, within Absolutely. his. It's true is that Democrats have been so much often working against the best interests of the people that they represent that it's easy for the people they represent to have utter apathy at best to the Democrats because they're not looking out for them. Uh, There should be, there should be, listen, the public education system, especially in the big cities, uh, really has, uh, has been racist. It's been separate and unequal for decades. In Chicago, you've had tens of thousands of kids go through these schools and not make it through the schools and not get the education they deserve. People should have been screaming. There should have been demonstrations in the street. There, there was briefly a guy named State Senator James Meeks. Yeah, you talk actually, about Meeks a lot. Yeah, uh, actually did stage some demonstrations. Not much came of them as a result. A lot of, uh, a lot of words. Not much action. In terms of funding schools, yeah, a more equitable way of funding schools, right? Or just the attention. The, the fact again, just the outrage there should yeah. be, right? These are the kids who really need good public education. And they're not getting it. And we all know it. And then people go, oh, what about the shootings? And what about the crime in Chicago? What about the education in Chicago? You know, where, where have you people been? Yeah. Uh, it, but all this stuff, that's what I mean. It's a really complex issue, but there's so many factors. You go to the opioid crisis. Oh, my God, white kids are dying. White people are dying because of opioids. Yeah. Where were all these people all these years when black kids and black people were dying uh, you know, from drugs, uh, nobody seemed to care. Uh, and uh, we're heading into uh, a Phil Kadner column in the <laughs> middle of our uh, discussion here. But there is a quintessential Phil Kadner column. We're going to break one down. Uh, but before we do that, I have to share something with you, Phil. Uh, and again, this is the first time we've ever met, but I have I feel like I know you because I've read your stuff for so many years. Uh, all right. Let, when you, you, um, when you, you're stop doing day-to-day coverage, or at least this is how I knew it. You, your column all of a sudden started appearing in the Chicago Sun-Times, yeah. and that's where I met. It must have been about 10 years ago. I've lost track of time. Not even that. Was it not even that? No, all right, about, well. about, probably about two years ago. No. Yeah. I've been reading Phil Kadner. Was it the, the, the Tribune? Should, uh, well, I don't Tribune occasionally run them, but not often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just uh, I have this notion of a Phil Kadner, reading a Phil Kadner column. Anyway, there was this one Phil Kadner column that had me laughing out loud. 
Uh, and I think I may have uh, quoted it in a reader thing that I wrote. It, you were talking about you were retiring, and you had this fear, this like flashback. You wrote something, and all of a sudden you wake up in the middle of the night, oh, yeah. and you realize, oh my God, I got his name wrong every night. <laughs> every night of my life. Talk about that. Yeah. Well, that's uh, journalism. Every, every night of my life, life just about. Uh, <laughs> I would wake up thinking I either got a, got a fact wrong misspelled the name, some terrible mistake, and I'd wake up at 1.30, 2 a.m. when it was too late to do a damn thing about it, uh, really shouting. And I'd wake up my wife, and she'd say, you know, for, for a while, she'd ask me. Eventually, she knew what was going on. <laughs> but for a while, she'd say, what's wrong? I said, yeah. oh, I, just, I said, I think I forgot something. Yeah. Uh, and that was, that was my, I, you know, I, people don't understand that. I'm not the only one who takes it that seriously. There are a lot of people who do. And, and we, we, we slept, sweat blood over getting it right. Yeah. And that's why I so resent uh, this kind of... Uh, public attitude today that, that we print false news and that's well, not public uh, attitude that's your, that's your boy donald trump well it's not just him there are a lot of people who follow him who believe that all right fair enough yeah, and and that's that bothers me because yeah. we you know i don't think we ever i don't think we ever talk about that enough yeah. i don't think we ever communicate to people how much mm -hmm. we care how we even do our business people yeah. are totally Totally ignorant of how newspapers, real newspapers, not, not the real fake ones, yeah. real newspapers do their business. They don't understand how serious it is, you know, and how if somebody gets something wrong, the uh, the humiliation, the embarrassment. Maybe What's worse, getting culture, scooped or getting something wrong? Getting something wrong. Getting something wrong. I, I, I've done it. I mean, I got a scoop. I got something that wasn't even, wasn't even factually wrong, but I think I took the wrong point of view. There was a... There was a cop who was being put on uh, uh, put on uh, uh, internal review because he uh, a kid had been raped in a building that he was in charge of whether he was in charge of the scene and he was supposed to decide whether to go in or not and uh, and I wrote something about after talking to some sources some policemen I respected they said he should have charged in there and not allowed that kid to get raped they stood outside for like hours. And they, their, their point of view was, and that's what I wrote. I said he should have charged in, and he was. We're going through these hearings, and I was covering them, and it was the very end. They had adjourned to make their decision. He came up to me, this guy, and he said, "You mind going out for a beer?" And I said, "No." And we went out to, for a beer, and this guy said, "You know, Phil, I'll never know if what I did was right. My, if what I was thinking was, if that was my kid, I wouldn't want some cop charging in there and getting my kid killed. If my kid was getting." raped it was terrible but she could live with that we could get her treatment my thought was i didn't want to barge into that door and get that kid killed because there's no remedy for that and i said to him you know you know i, I apologize i'll never have that decision to make and i i, I wrote that and I, I tried to explain but i felt terrible that did you, did you, so you did a follow-up? Yeah, I did. A, I t said just what he told me. I said, I don't know now. I mean, I know all these people who think they know what's right. But after listening to his logic, you know, uh, that I think I'd like, if my kid was in there, I think I would like him to have been outside that day making that decision. Mm -hmm. By the way, I give the cop credit. He didn't charge up to you like to slug you or something. Yeah. He, he wanted to talk it out. 
he 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 didn't he wanted to talk with somebody who we could talk to and say I don't know. Okay, so what you just described yeah. was uh, a quote unquote, and I have error in quotes, air quotes, an right. error of judgment. Right. Um, the the other one is just a flat out error, and and I just yeah. got to tell you this, yeah. Phil. I've been there many times. Yeah. I've been in this business writing since uh, about 1979, and many is the time that I woke up realizing that I spelled, let's say, Philip with one L instead of two, or two L's instead of one. I'm dyslexic anyway, so I got a lot of issues when it comes to spelling. And yes, when I read what you wrote, I was like, man, this dude understands it. Until you've been in this game, you don't realize just like, Thousands of things could go wrong. Right. It's not everyone who has that kind of conscience, but I I like to believe most journalists do. Most of the ones I know do, and and we care that much. I I don't know. I I probably care too much. I think waking up in the middle of the night. (laughs) uh, Somebody said to me once when I told them, well, you should have quit. You're probably right. You know, It 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 was tormenting me that much, but I felt like I was... I always felt like I was doing the job as well as anybody could do it. I, I had that much of an ego that uh, if I wasn't doing it, somebody who didn't care as much yeah. would be there doing it, right? Uh, so I, I felt that we should we should care because we, you know, we do hold life, people's lives in our hands, and uh, and we you know people trust us, and I wanted people to trust me. Yeah. Well, Donald Trump has uh, made quite a career for himself, uh, bashing the press. Uh, and uh, spreading the notion of fake news. Uh, as an old uh, reader of newspapers, as a po- and in addition to a, a writer for a newspaper, I tend to think this is one of the worst times, Phil, that I've ever lived through in terms of the antipathy toward the press. I remember the Nixon years and Agnew and the way he attacked the press. Um, but I think it's worse now uh, with Donald Trump. Do you Absolutely. share my uh, attitude here? I think the reaction, I think there was an overwhelming reaction during the Nixon years of people rallying behind the press. So maybe a lot of that was due to Bernstein and Woodward mm-hmm. and how their exposure of Watergate uh, was so important to the country. Uh, but I think, <laughs> I think again, you know, there are very few issues that are simple. And I think this is another one that's complex. I think people... Uh, I don't think people are as interested in, in actual knowledge now as they once were. And I think that probably goes back to my generation versus my father. My father never went to college, uh, but he really cared about knowledge. You know, he would, we had a set of encyclopedias, and anytime something would come up that he didn't know about, he'd go to the encyclopedias to look something up so he would understand it. Uh, it was very important to him. And I think, it, you know, I, I've read letters from people that, era from the world war ii era and, and they're so literate you know they cared about language they they, they cared about that uh, the, the i think about when i was young who the, the real heroes of the world were there were people who were uh, scientists uh, people who were curing diseases right uh, you know uh, <laughs> i don't know i guess it's businessmen now right they're all all the people we admire are businessmen or entertainers yeah uh, baseball players, uh, sports athletic figures. Uh, but back when I was a kid, there was a lot of admiration for people actually accomplished things beyond that realm of, uh, 
uh, of enriching themselves, yeah. right? Well, one thing's uh, for certain about Chicago, and, and I don't want to sound like it's some old timer talking about the old days, which I I feel myself already moving into that direction uh, with what I'm about to say, but um, is that there's no one today who's the equivalent of Mike Royko. No. Now, we talked about Mike Royko. He was a daily columnist for the Chicago Daily News for many years, then the Chicago Sun-Times when the Daily News went out of business, and then the Tribunal. And uh, But Royko, he shaped sort of the city's attitude toward itself. Uh, and his column was so influential, and so many people read it. Not just people in power, but ordinary Chicagoans, Black and white would read it. And I, I don't believe there's anybody, Phil, anywhere in the media today, uh, in the Chicago area anyway, who has that kind of influence in terms of, no. you know, I just, and I think that's, for better or for worse, that's lost. And, and our generation of journals was shaped by that. And now we're t- struggling to tr- try to figure out what's next. Uh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, there, there, there was, uh, there was a, a greatness about Royko at the same time, you know, before we canonize him too much, uh, I, I got to tell you, I think his legacy lives on today. He, he kind of made it great for, for politicians to be corrupt. I guess his attitude was he was just going to make fun of it and acknowledge it. And if uh, the public wanted to do anything about it, that was up to them, not to him. Hmm. Uh, but I, I think for, for he, he created this attitude for decades that it was fun to have corrupt politicians. Well, I, okay, let me come to Royko's defense. Go ahead. And uh, because I don't I, think he needs a defense. I, no, okay. he's dead. The guy's been dead for 96 years. I am defending him. Uh, I don't think he said it, it was fun to have. I share Royko's sense, and 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 you kind of do too. I'm gonna we're gonna do an annotation of a Phil Cadden column, <laughs> so get ready for this. Or I don't know if you ever had sat through one of these before. But Mike Royko's attitude was that there's something wrong with this city. Yeah, that it would right. tolerate. Year after year, Absolutely. these blatant displays of corruption Absolutely. that we all know about. Right. And and he would just, it was mocking. And this this is why I respected him so much, particularly right. now when I look back, Phil. It was like he was not afraid no. to tell Chicagoans, you people, there's something wrong with you. Right. And these were the people who were paying his that's salary true. that was you know yeah, right and uh i i feel the same way i've been fighting chicagoans for so long phil because i disagree with everyone they've elected for mayor <laughs> since harold washington yeah. well i voted for Lori, but it's for the years for 89 to, you didn't live in chicago did you i, I lived in chicago when i was a young man that, yeah, so that, you didn't get been a, a long time so you didn't get an opportunity to vote for uh, richard m daly no then. i did not would you have voted for him I might have. I might have. <laughs> all right, I want to hold that against you. That's okay. Uh, all right, let's annotate a Phil Kadner column. This is a great one. I read this column on the train. I told Phil this. I immediately sent him an email. Uh, Kadner, get in the studio. And he's been a good sport. He schlepped all the way in from Orland Park or wherever. America is great if you could avoid the guns, drugs, and politics. And that's the headline. Try telling Americans this is the nuttiest country in the history of the world. And they'll tell you how great it is. That is so Royko in its uh, attitude. And here's the lead. This column is about one of the craziest nations in the history of the world. 
the United States of America. According to the people who live here, it is one of the richest countries in the world, and it has the most political freedoms, and it is the greatest country ever. And yet, really angry individuals routinely walk into churches, into a church, school, movie theater, nightclub, or Walmart and shoot people. It's so simple what you wrote. It's so direct. Uh, but And you just encapsulated right there the utter insanity of life in America. Talk about this a little bit. Well, we all know it, right? I mean, we all talk about it every day. Every time there's some story on the news that upsets us, we all go, who are these nutty people? Why are people so nutty? Well, they're us. That's the one thing we don't say. They're us. Whatever it is, they're us. Donald Trump is us. The people who vote for Donald Trump are us. Uh, you know, the people who are doing drugs by the, by the millions are us. Uh, you know, and we, we, we all know it's crazy, but yet we accept it. And it's, it's kind of, you know, it just, it, let's take the example of the person who walks into the theater and shoots it up, right? And the, the, maybe the 18, 19 year old kid. The first thing we all say is, why couldn't his parents, what are, where were his parents? Why didn't they know? Yeah. Well, where are we? <laughs> and all this stuff. We know, we all know. Uh, and I guess this almost sounds Trumpian because Trump has jumped on this idea of mental illness. And, and I don't agree with it, what he's saying about it. But there is a form uh, of sickness uh, that's pervaded our society, an acceptance of things. Uh, I mean, there were always problems in our society, but it was, they weren't accepted. We were always, well, we can improve that. Mm. That was always kind of the attitude. We got to change that. Yeah. Some eight-year-old kid would shot on the street we got to go after the mob and eliminate the mob. And if the mayor doesn't do that, we got to get rid of the mayor. Well, now an eight-year-old kid gets shot on the street and we wait for the nine-year-old kid to get shot on the street. It's just an acceptance of this, of this craziness. And then it's a defense of everything. Well, it's really not that bad. Yeah. Everything's really, we're really pretty damn good, you know? No matter what, no matter what kind of craziness happens. Uh, you know, our drug culture uh, funds political corruption throughout the world. Yeah. We corrupt governments everywhere. Everywhere in the world, we're corrupting governments. And what, what was our answer back in the 80s? Just say no. Yeah. And people went, yeah, yeah, that doesn't cost us any money. Let's just say no. Uh, that, that's how crazy we are. And uh, for reading further, what this is... Um, Taking a little deeper dive into the column, about 1,600 people have been shot in Chicago this year, I'm reading from the column, including 300 who were murdered. The police superintendent says the laws aren't tough enough. There are 2.3 million people in prisons in America. That's more people in prisons than in Russia, China, or any other country in the world. About one-fifth of these people are in prison on drug-related charges. I just thought that was a really brilliant back-to-back uh, -back parallel that you did there, where you talk about how all the people are being killed in the city of Chicago on a regular basis. The police chief says it's because we're not tough enough. And then you come right back after, right after the next paragraph and say, by the way, we have 2.3 million people in prisons in America now. So obviously what you're saying is that being tough enough really isn't the issue here. No, we're really tough. 
And again, this is a racial thing again, too, even though the police commissioner is black. I, you know, I was talking to a black colleague many years ago about this stuff, and he, he was, we were talking about stuff. He says, Phil, you don't, you don't, you know, uh, he said, I, you know, I don't mean to insult you, but as a white guy, you don't understand how we look at things versus the way you look at things. He goes, everybody in my neighborhood either has a relative in jail or has been in jail, has a neighbor that's been in jail, has a friend that's been in jail, and a lot of them have been falsely convicted, some of them not. We all know people, families where the parents are both in jail, prison. He goes, our look at the justice system is so much different than the way you white folks look at it, you can't possibly understand it. Mm-hmm. And when he explained it to me that way, I suddenly, it was like this idiot funneling a light bulb. And I, I, I now I understand that. And it's, again, it's, it's just so destructive of that society. And again, we talk about these things like that's not happening. Like they're, they're irrelevant to the, all the other problems in the inner cities. Mm-hmm. But they're not. You can't, how can you? You can't. You've got people shooting every day on the streets, which we all know. We've got guys coming back from Afghanistan, and we care about them. They're poor. These poor guys, they got, you know, they're, they've been shot at. They're scared. We got what happens when a nine or ten or eleven year old's been shot at? What do, you, what do you think happens to them when they're twenty years old? You know, and what kind of therapy are they getting? Are we all feeling sorry for them? No, it's all again, it's all insanity and. And at some point, you got to at least acknowledge it. That's all I'm kind of crying out for. At least stop and acknowledge uh, that there's all kinds of bad stuff going on in our society. And then maybe that stuff, I think that's like the first step to addressing an issue is to acknowledge it exists. Yeah. Well, and uh, then there's this point that you make uh, along the lines. We are great. Uh, here we go. Here we, go. we are a great country that really loves narcotics. The United States is the largest consumer of illegal narcotics in the world, spending hundreds of billions of dollars on them each year. Yet, if you try telling Americans they are nuttier than any group of people in the history of the world, they will tell you this is not true. They will tell you how great everything is in the country. That in itself is a form of madness, in my humble opinion. And again, I I go on, you know, I... I've always, you know, I've been an advocate for years of higher taxes to support public education. And you talk to anybody, I don't even care, Democrat, doesn't, their their political views don't matter. They'll complain about their property taxes, which go to pay for education. And they'll complain about taxes in general. Yet, they'll spend, we got billions of dollars to spend on drugs. We have billions, billions and billions of dollars are spent on sports gambling. Billions of dollars are spent on entertainment, but we got no money. People, people go outraged and go crazy because you want to tax them to support their schools. <laughs> How crazy is yeah. that? Well, I would say here, I'm going to defend the people. Uh, go, <laughs> I'm going go to try to it. defend the people. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> We're going to try to do this, Phil. Uh, I probably complain more about my property taxes uh, than, well, I wouldn't say anyone alive, but I complain about my property taxes as much as anyone. And uh, I share your belief that we should be funding our public schools. Right. Uh, and so... I don't care. I, the part of my property taxes goes up to fund the public schools. I'm happy to do so. Yeah. The part that I find so frustrating is I realize so much of the money I pay in taxes goes to things that I just don't think we need. I want to fund. Yeah. Uh, 
And yet I'm helpless to do that. And when I look at Republicans, on the other hand, they they'll talk about how if you're opposed to abortion, you should not have your public dollars go to Planned Parenthood. And they believe in that. They feel they go, we are going to protect taxpayers from unconscionable and that goes against their conscience payment uh, for abortion because they're against it. What about me? I don't want my money, tax dollars, going to fund wars throughout the world that I don't even think the United States should be involved in. Don't I have a right to protect my tax dollars in in that way? You have a right to complain. Uh, Again, listen, if that was your last dollar you're talking about, I go, yeah, you know, man. Well, first of all, you have a right to complain. But again... If, you, if you're complaining, you're saying, well, you know, I'm not going to any Cubs games this year. I'm not going to any Sox games. I, I'm not getting a big screen TV. I'm not getting the 70-inch screen, big screen TV because I got a 55. I only need one. I only have three. <laughs> you know, I don't, need, I don't need a Mercedes. I don't need a Lexus. I, all, you know, all these arguments. Yeah. You know, if those are your arguments, you know, I think about my parents who, whose taxes were much lower, no doubt about it, but their style of living. We had one little portable TV in a room. We had one car, and that car lasted for years and years, and no cell phones, and we didn't have cable TV, which, again, I, I, this whole idea, but basically, you got, you got to have cable TV. You got to have a cell phone to live. I mean, that's costly stuff. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I really got off the point here. Uh, what I'm saying is that people have the money to pay the taxes. I would like to see government work. That's where I would, but nobody wants to see that. Nobody really wants to make the argument. Let's make out. I'm happy to pay my taxes if the stuff I'm paying for actually works. Yeah. You know, I don't want to pay for roads that are crumbling. I don't want to pay for bridges that are going to collapse. You know, I don't want to pay for uh, DCFS workers. Who, who aren't stopping kids from being killed. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff really ticks me off. Yeah. But nobody, nobody's making the argument. I'm a, you know, Pritzker doesn't make the argument, elect me and I'll make government work. Nobody does that because it's too damn hard, I guess. Well, the, uh, that, that has By the way, echo. you live in Chicago? Oh, yeah, I live on the north side of Chicago. Okay, yeah. Chicago property taxes have been so much lower than those in the suburbs for decades. They've been totally manipulated. It ticks me off to hear anybody in Chicago, because you guys are finally, finally you catching guys. up. <laughs> you guys in the city are finally catching up to the suburbs. You ought to take a look at Park Forest, Illinois. Yeah. Uh-huh. It has Park Forest, Illinois, pays a higher rate of property taxes than like anybody in the state. I, I, I could talk for hours about property taxes is a, a bizarre obsession i have me too the light went on for me i always tell people this uh to your point about 2004 when i had a i was hit with a really big tax hike and uh, that launched the last 16 years of obsession with municipal financing in the city of chicago yeah. dozens and dozens of articles dedicated uh to that point the the larger problem with property taxes in the city of chicago where they're high is they are not related to the income of the people who live in the houses never have been N- 
never happen. Well, it's really bad now, particularly in a neighborhood that's going through gentrification. Because if you're an old timer like me, who's lived in my, I've lived, I've lived in the same house since 1985. It's gone up in value, and so they're charging me a property tax is not related to the income I have. I write for the Reader newspaper, which <laughs> Phil, you as a guy from the Daily South Town can understand. We're not making go- money. This has been going on in the suburbs though for over 30 years. That's what I'm saying. City didn't hit hit that bad because you guys were killing your commercial tax base to pay for stuff. What? Do you, what okay, here we're going to do. We're going to compare tax. How much you pay in t- uh, annual property tax? Uh, I got the senior tax freeze now, so I'm paying just under eight thousand a year. Man, what are you? crying about i pay i'm not crying <laughs> i never cried i'm saying there are people I, I who deserve to cry you. all right so how I, much you can't you can't do that you got to tell me what you pay oh, i pay almost twelve thousand a okay. year okay yeah all right I'm, excuse me while i weep a little bit yeah. Phil. um well you're not on the senior tax freeze yet uh, no, I'm not. Okay, you'll the, get it. You'll I'll get, get there. I'll get there. Uh, yeah, everybody oh, gets a tax I'm looking break. Forward to that's the other. Thing. Everybody gets a tax break, as if somebody else doesn't have to pay for it. But every time somebody you give somebody a tax break, the other guy has to pay more. Yeah, that is true. That's a good point. All right. Uh, uh, well, let's talk briefly about your last column before I let you get out the door here. And your last column uh, is one about Kim Fox, the uh, Cook County State's Attorney. Uh, and uh, it's funny. A lot of people come into, into this studio. Dennis is looking at me now. He knows where I'm going to go with this. Uh, and when the Kim Fox story broke and the Smollett Gate story, we spent a lot of time talking about that this, on this show with all kinds of different people. Uh, some people come in and, and in a break go, Ben, don't ask me about Kim Fox because they didn't have an answer for <laughs> Kim Fox. Uh, you know, I'm pretty good with my guests. I appreciate them. If they don't want to talk about Kim Fox, I'm not going to make them talk about Kim Fox. You don't jump. You just jump right in, Phil Katner. You didn't care. Uh, so what's your thesis about Kim Fox? All I know is what I read in the newspaper. Okay. Okay. And that is, I got no explanation that makes any sense for me mm-hmm. why the charges against Jesse Smollett were, were eliminated. Why he was, this guy was allowed to walk after, after creating this national scandal involving Chicago, embarrassing the city, uh, implying that we had people walking the streets who uh, attacked gay people in the middle of the night. Uh, and uh, I mean, and his story to me was so obviously uh, uh, unbelievable from the get-go that I, I didn't understand why so many people were taking it seriously. I guess it's admirable that they did in one sense, but in the other sense, his, his, his basic argument was at around 2 a.m. on a January night, one of the coldest nights of the year, I think it was below zero out, two people were allegedly waiting for him near his apartment building with a noose and a bottle full of some liquid mm-hmm. on the off chance that he would go for a Subway sandwich at that time of night. Mm-hmm. And he went out for the Subway sandwich, yeah. and they knew who he was, he's saying. They basically called him out by name and shouted uh, homosexual slurs and put the noose around his neck. Uh, and I found that one as an old newspaper guy who covered a lot of crime stories. I found that story from the get go. Like, uh, no, no, two guys are not hanging out waiting for you. You know, and they then they know him too. Yeah, they, they identify him like he's you know the most famous actor in the world when he's basically unknown. But anyway, uh, and then after the police investigate this, uh, come to the conclusion that you know, this this doesn't make any sense. They say he paid these two brothers 
basically to, to do perform this act where they pretended to assault him. And they bring, you know, they, the police uh, say he falsified the information. Yet the state's attorney's office files, brings a grand jury case, and they file charges against this mm-hmm. guy. So there's some substance to this, right? And then all of a sudden, Kim Fox, who supposedly recused herself, uh, has her first-in-command dismiss the entire yeah. case. She claims to have recused herself, but then not in the legal sense. Her PR person says, I, yeah. I don't even know what that means. But the only recusal I know is the legal sense, yeah. especially when a state's attorney says she yeah. recused herself. And now after all this stuff, and, and they don't notify the police, apparently, that, that they're doing this. And then he gets out and says, I, I, you know, they, this has been a travesty. I didn't do it. You know, I, I told the truth, blah, blah, blah. After all this, she comes up for before the uh, the Cook County Democratic Party bosses and says, "I want to run for re-election, endorse me." And they say, "Yes, hooray for you! We're backing you." Yeah. Uh, really? I mean, how how does that happen? You asking me? Yeah. Uh, well, I have, so that's what I yeah. I wrote. I don't understand. That's what I wrote. I don't. What do I have to know that I, I, I that I don't know? Yeah. And she would never explain, really. Her, she eventually explained that the reason she did this is because she's not wasting her attorney, her assistant attorney's time prosecuting non-criminal, yeah. non-violent behavior. Yeah. So that means anybody, can you and I now go and invent some no. crime and not have charges pressed? No. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I share your frustration by the whole thing. That said, I... I, if, if I, at this moment, oh God, Phil, you're about to, you're going to throw me out of my own studio. I would, I'm leaning toward voting for her again. And I'll tell you why. Because I think the goals she committed to do uh, were more important than the uh, apparent what word should I use? I'm, I'm going to use it. I, I, I'm not going to throw you out of your room. I'm just going to tell you the truth, which is that you're, what you're saying is exactly what Trump supporters say, you know. Yes. Oh, gosh. Okay. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's Phil Kander throws Trump at me. Nah, that's uh, it, right? Yeah. So you're saying, yeah, I get them. Go for it, guys. Uh, yes. I uh, I don't care how, what I don't care what else he does. His basic stuff, he's doing it. Well, no, that's a, val- that's a very good point. I didn't even get a chance to finish what I was saying. And you're like, heard Trump this. at me. I, I've heard this from other people. <laughs> that they like, they like I liked, other I liked, stuff. I, uh, I put it this way. I like very much that uh, she was standing up for alternative uh, sentencing. Uh, the fact that so many police chiefs from the south suburbs were up in arms oh, about was, her. That was outrageous. Uh, yeah, yes. it was pretty outrageous. That was. So to a certain degree, her opposition in, 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 its, in its all of its vociferous, self-righteous glory makes me uh, support her more. Right. The part about the story that most troubles me and would keep me from voting for her is the fact that she took the phone call from Tina Chen and it just seems to me that that's a sign of in the la- just in the most general use of the word corruption that Listen, the system wasn't looking you and I, wasn't clean you and I just had this conversation maybe half an hour ago about how much we cared about getting it right and being credible to the public mm-hmm. as journalists uh, that's the standard I hold my public officials to 
they have to get it right. They have to explain themselves. They owe it to the public. Every time they betray their public trust, it's another another one of us saying, I'll never trust any of those people. They all lie. And it leads to Donald Trump because, yeah, yeah, they all do lie. I, you know, I can't really argue with the guy. I'm looking at my next guest. She's all saying, right, yeah, I'm I can't argue I'm with I'm going to throw either. the microphone down. I'm done. All right. Uh, and <laughs> Phil Kadner, uh, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, Phil, how long are you going to continue writing? You're, you're even older than I am, which is I thought was physically impossible. Uh, so uh, probably, uh, probably when they start throwing us in prison, I'll stop. <laughs> okay. Well, that day is coming, day. unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, Phil Kadner, thank you so much. The great Phil Kadner. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank can you read so much. Uh, the Sun Times, my beloved bright one, uh, once a week, right? Isn't it once a week? Am kind I right of, about that? Kind, kind of. It's almost every Wednesday, but not quite. Not quite. <laughs> Whenever Cat and Phil, oh, I don't feel like writing this week. They no, no, it's not me. It's oh, not it's, me. It's, it's not the bright one. Yeah. All right. Phil Kenner is his name, and thank you so much, Phil. And I know it's thank a you. long schlep from That's the Southwest right. suburbs to come up here, uh, but we'll have you back soon. And I'm just warning you now, I'm going to be reaching out to you again. Anytime. All right. Very good. That's Phil Kenner. I'm Ben Gerard. That's another bonus segment, everybody. Take care.